You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. Uh, Acts 17, uh, verse 1. When Paul and his companions passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. The next reading is from 1 Thessalonians 1. Paul, Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and the Father your work produced by faith your labour prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Thanks for uh, reading, Steph. Everybody can hear me okay? That's good. Excellent. Um, As uh, Adam mentioned before, we're starting a new series. We've just finished God's Good Design, uh, which uh, hopefully you found helpful and uh, beneficial. Uh, We had the bigger questions um, or curly questions this week, which was a great way to, I think, kind of finish that up. And um, I guess that will be an ongoing conversation. But today it's uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to open in prayer. Father, as we open your word today, speak to us. May you help to correct those who need correcting and encourage those who need encouraging. Help us all to understand clearly what Paul, Silas and Timothy were trying to communicate to the Thessalonian church and then see how that can equip us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, what is the most significant thing that has happened in your life? Was it finishing school, university? Uh, Was it getting married, maybe buying a house or uh, having a child perhaps? And for those that, that are later on in life, maybe it was watching one of your children do one of those things. What did people say to you at those momentous occasions? Many of these occasions are fantastic uh, reasons for us to celebrate and to offer encouragement. What did people say? For those who are Christians here today, what about your conversion? I've certainly heard some uh, amazing stories of you know, converted criminals or drug addicts um, or even just simply those that didn't grow up in a Christian home uh, turning their lives around and serving God some spectacular stories of God revealing himself to them and the resulting change in their life being so evident for everybody else around them to see. Or maybe your conversion didn't feel that significant. Maybe it happened slowly over time as you grew up in the church. You learned more and more about God. Well, I'm here today to tell you that any conversion story uh, is a significant one. If you were blind but now you see, that is an incredible gift from God and we ought to rejoice for anyone who has turned away from a life of sin towards Jesus. And this is exactly what Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica about. It's to give encouragement to them for their faith and their trust in God. We might even say this this whole passage is... uh, is full of, um, is is all about conversion, what it is and what it looks like. In fact, in verse 7 of our passage, Paul says that by their conversion, they have become models uh, to their neighbouring believers. And Paul, by labelling them model, uh, tells us that the way that the Thessalonians responded to Paul's message when he was there with them was the way that Paul believed others should also respond. So by extension, the Thessalonian church is a model for us too. We should be able to look at their conversion and if we too are believers, we might see some similarities to our own. If we're yet to be believers here today, then maybe you'll see that a life following Jesus is not what you thought it was. So I've titled this sermon today, Turn, Serve and Wait the markers of a Christian life. This letter, 1 Thessalonians, uh, is pretty widely accepted as Paul's first letter to any church. So it's helpful to acknowledge and reflect for us uh, that this very first letter we have recorded by him to any group of believers is one full of encouragement. The letter starts with Paul writing that that he, Silas and Timothy, uh, that they're writing to the church in Thessalonica the believers whom they met there and who they dearly missed. Paul was actually forced to move on from Thessalonica after not very long. Uh, Their ministry there was cut short. We just heard more about what was going on in Thessalonica at that time, uh, read for us by Steph in Acts chapter 17. There was rioting and mobs being formed by uh, very angry and jealous Jews. They were attacking new Christian converts. This was the reason that that Paul had to flee. He had to get out in a hurry. It wasn't a safe place for him 
or for the gospel message or, of course, for any new believers there. And so Paul has, I guess, this uh, level of concern uh, about the believers that he left behind in Thessalonica um, and it's, uh, he feels that there's a reason for a letter to be sent to encourage them, remind them what happened when he was there and that they might never forget and take heart. He starts really in verse 2 by writing that we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. I love that Paul starts with this. He, Silas and Timothy are thankful for these believers and they have been praying for them. It's always nice to hear someone say, I'll be praying for you. But it's, it's really something else to hear someone say, I have been praying for you or I am praying for you. It shows that they've self-identified maybe a need for the prayer or perhaps it was a prompt from the Holy Spirit that they ought to pray for you. It's an extremely heartwarming thing though to hear from someone that they have been praying for you, especially if you're in a hard time. In Paul's case, as we just heard, he has genuine concern for the church there in Thessalonica. So he's continually lifting them up in prayer. As the letter continues, we see Paul getting more and more specific about what he has seen and heard about the Thessalonian believers that is worthy of thankfulness. If we look at uh, verse 3, he gives thanks specifically for their work produced by faith, their labour prompted by love and their endurance inspired by hope. On first reading, we might be struck with the thought, well, what is the difference between uh, work and labour? Because faith has produced one and love has produced the other. Well, Work could easily be translated works and it points to, a, I guess, a product or an outcome that is produced by their faith. It may not necessarily be that laborious or require a painful toil, um, as the word labour might suggest. So the works here seem to be the outcomes from the Thessalonians' faith. Perhaps it was the many conver- conversions that were occurring uh, around them and through them at this time. Whereas the labour refers more, I think, to the effort that they were putting in each and every day to achieve these outcomes. It is interesting as well to think about the the outcomes from their faith, the products, (laughs) uh, come about from their faith in God. They trust in him to do things through them. But their labour comes about by their love. If we look at the Greek, uh, we actually learn that the love that Paul is referring to here in this passage is referring to agape love. It's the word used in Greek uh, to describe God's love for us uh, and our love for him. It's unconditional love. It's distinct from brotherly love that is praised later on in the letter in chapter 4. This tells us that the Thessalonians' love for God... uh, and his love for them is what is prompting their labour. This is the same type of love that we read about in 1 Corinthians 13, agape love. This is a passage many of us know well. It's always read at weddings. (laughs) Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. 
It does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes and always perseveres. This is the type of love that God has for us and we are to strive, to, uh, strive for towards him. The Thessalonians understood this love and it was prompting their labour. It, it makes sense, doesn't it? If, if I unconditionally and sacrificially love someone, I will labour for them that they might flourish. The Thessalonians wanted to see God's name honoured. Labour and outcomes would appear to be incomplete, according to Paul, uh, without a healthy dose of endurance, that they keep on labouring in love. This endurance, we're told, is inspired by their hope. And hope is waiting for something good that you know is coming. I remember the first time a number of years ago I signed up for my first half marathon. It was Run Melbourne uh, and I was roped into it by a couple of friends who sold it to me by saying, oh, we can do some training runs together and we'll run in the event together and it was a great way for us to hang out. Um, And it was. We did do a couple of runs together in training, great chats at the cafe afterwards. But then came the event and I'm standing at the start line of 21 kilometres. The longest run that I'd done in preparation was 13 so it was going to be a bit of a stretch. In the interest of time, though, I will let you know, I finished the run. Um, I didn't have to work, walk and I didn't have to stop, uh, but it was probably the slowest marathon time that you would have... Uh, sorry, half marathon that you would have uh, heard of. Um, but do you think I saw my mates during the run at all? No. <laughs> I ran the whole thing by myself. Uh, I did see them a couple of times as we kind of doubled back, you know, on the paths, um, but mostly I was pretty lonely. Uh, and uh, there was two thoughts really that, that kept going around and around in my mind for the, for the two hours that it was. One was, I can't wait to finish so that I can stop. <laughs> the second thought was, how good is sitting on the couch tonight going to feel uh, after a shower? <laughs> it was the hope of what was coming after the race that kept me going. My desire to finish the run was motivated by the hope of what would come afterwards. I think this is similar motivation for for any of us going through or enduring something that's difficult. We are motivated by what will come afterwards. Well, what are the Thessalonians motivated by? Paul tells us in verse uh, verse 10. They are motivated uh, for God's Son to return from heaven the one, we are told, who delivers them from the wrath to come. They had hope because they understood that God's wrath was coming and that Jesus Christ, who had conquered death, was able to shield them from it. They understood that they themselves were not good enough to earn God's favour, but Jesus Christ could Their hope came from knowing that Christ would be their substitute on this coming day of judgement. Now, I guess we've delved somewhat deeply into the attributes that Paul's mentioned here, but let's not forget that Paul is simply listing the things to them that, that he is thankful for about them as a church. 
So is Paul giving us the example here that we should only be thankful when there's output or results? I don't think so, no. Because if you look carefully at the words, it's not just their work, labour and endurance that he's actually thankful for. It's their work that's produced by faith, their labour from love and their endurance from hope. So Paul is actually thankful that these practical things are happening because of their love for Jesus. The actions are the evidence of the internal change. Uh, They have been powerfully changed by the Holy Spirit and now their life looks different. It is marked by service and sacrifice. They're not doing these things to earn God or even Paul's approval. They're doing these things out of a love for God. And Paul, he couldn't be happier. To me, this encouragement of Paul's, it almost seems like a precursor to the fruits of the Spirit idea um, that he writes about in a later letter, um, Galatians. If you're not familiar with it, then Paul, uh, he writes about attributes that he calls fruits of the Spirit and they appear over time in a Christian's life. These are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. These fruits are are used as like outside evidence of a Christian's changed heart. And Paul seems to be seeing a lot of this evidence in the lives of the believers in Thessalonica. Um, But perhaps the idea wasn't yet cemented or formulated in his own mind yet. But Paul is concerned about the pressure that the Thessalonian church is under. In verse 5, he reminds them that the gospel that was shared with them, when it came, it came with power and deep conviction. A reminder to them that, that this was the work of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want them to forget God's work in their lives. The word conviction, it means to have a firmly held belief or opinion. So Paul is saying here that their hearts were firmly convinced of the gospel message. But for the gospel to actually transform a person's life, like what we are reading about here, uh, God must be working in the hearer's heart, preparing the way. And that is what Paul is reminding them of here. To grab hold of this requires power from the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul is really, he's encouraged by, and he's reminding them of it, to encourage them to persevere. This ought to be a reminder too to us. um, If we have been uh, convicted of our sin and we have turned ourselves to Christ for salvation, then that itself is a work of God. The greatest gift, of course, that can ever be given to us. Now, I'm particularly thankful that Paul got specific in his thanks to the Thessalonians because it allows us, the DPC, a different church and 2,000 years on in history to see what some of the markers were of early converts to the faith. What were they doing? How were they living? It helps us to identify what the conversion of a sinner looks like when one turns from their old life to follow Christ. In verse 9 and 10, I I believe we get Paul's definition of conversion. He says that they turned from God to idols. Sorry, I'll start again. (laughs) 
they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. So simplifying it in my own words, especially since I read it wrong, (laughs) conversion is turning from idols to serve God and to wait for his son Jesus. Conversion is turning from idols to serve God and to wait for his son Jesus. It is not one or the other, but both. If Paul left it at simply turning from idols to serve God, the concept would produce legalistic followers. Those hard workers who are striving to keep God happy and flee from idols in their lives, but with lives, but without the knowledge that faith uh, in the atoning work of Christ is the only way to achieve this. And if Paul had said that all they had to do was wait for Christ to return, it would have produced lazy followers that weren't driven to serve God at all. These followers, they they would simply wait patiently and passively uh, for their saviour. But Paul paints a picture here in verses 9 and 10 that a true conversion will demonstrate both. There will be a turning from individual sin towards God, there will be a desire to to serve him and a genuine hope in Christ uh, returning to complete the work that he promised. This could be summarised simplistically, I guess, by, um, by the phrase turn, serve and wait. These are the markers of a Christian conversion. I think we've talked a lot already about uh, turning and waiting. But how do we serve God today as Christians? Well, we do this primarily by doing God's work while we're here on earth, advancing God's kingdom rather than advancing our own. It's the opposite, really, of what culture tells us life is all about. Uh, Practically, this has meant uh, many people have moved to the other side of the world to share the gospel with unreached people. Uh, I myself, I was keen to do this earlier in my life. Um, But as I grew older, I began to realise that there was just so many people in Australia that hadn't yet heard or understood the gospel. The mission field, really, is all around us. It's every day, in our workplaces and clubs, in our social gatherings and it's even right here in our church. There's so much need for servants here at DPC. The doors to this church don't stay open by accident. Our leaders and our volunteers work tirelessly week in, week out to bring the truth to our community here at Darabin. They do this uh, as many other, sorry, as I should say, as many other leaders do in other churches around our city and country. So get involved. For a Christian, there is nothing more rewarding than seeing God's kingdom grow. Paul also mentions some other markers in our passage that are helpful for us to take note of. Let's look at verse 6. He says that the Thessalonians became imitators of the Lord and that they welcomed the gospel message with joy in the midst of suffering. They weren't just grumbling through with the hope of getting to the end, a bit like I was in my run, but they were genuinely joyous despite their circumstances. And we know, we've heard, that their circumstances were hard. And in verse 8, we see the outcomes from the change in their life. We read that the Lord's message rang out from them. 
This is another marker that Paul mentions for us. The Lord's message of salvation, it went out from them to their neighbours, Macedonia and Archaea, and then to the entire world. Paul says that their faith in God had become known everywhere. They stood out. People all over the world were hearing about the Thessalonian church because of their faithfulness. Even we know about their faith here in Melbourne in 2023 because of their changed hearts. The point is, they were obviously not quiet or passive. They were sharing the truth that they had come to know with those around them. They were serving God. They were serving one another and they were loving their neighbours despite the persecution. The changes in their lives were clearly evident as they became a model to all of those around them. Others were stirred and inspired by their faithfulness and action. Now I would like to just take a moment to acknowledge maybe some of the differences between what was happening here in Thessalonica at this time and what we see here in Australia. The picture Paul paints here about a conversion suggests a dramatic and even sudden change in direction. We must remember though that these early believers were hearing this message for the very first time. Jesus' ascension had only been several years earlier and uh, Jerusalem was about 1,500 kilometres away. Uh, They weren't, uh, many of them were not Jews and they had not grown up as God's people knowing or seeing his promises come true. This gospel message that Paul shared with them was completely new, completely earth-shattering. So, of course, it necessitated a 180-degree turn and an entirely new view of their own identity. And therefore, the changes in a new believer's life were very obvious. This is a different environment to what we live in in Australia today. While I feel our culture is moving further and further away from our Judeo-Christian heritage, um, many of those around us still have a connection to a church experience. Uh, That may be a negative experience. It may be a positive experience. It may be just an experience that fell by the wayside and they've stopped uh, going to church at all. In fact, I had a conversation just yesterday with a colleague and he said, look, I'm not a Bible-waving Christian or anything, but as I get older, I really value the morals of Christianity. My point is, the Christian gospel is not a new message for many of the people in our context. It is one that people often have preformed opinions about. It's, they're either founded or unfounded, positive or negative. And so these Thessalonian-type conversions that we're reading about here, um, they do occur today, but they may seem a little less common. It's so exciting when we do get to witness a dramatic conversion. I've seen a few in in my lifetime of friends uh, or stories that I've heard over the years of dramatic changes in people's lives. But but that wasn't my story and I know that it's not the story of many of you here. For me, I, I grew up in the church. My parents took me along since I was about two weeks old. They planted a church when I was eight. I always went to Sunday school and I was always taught the truth of the gospel. I even had the opportunity to attend a great Christian school, which I'm really thankful for. I have always known of God's goodness and I've trusted in his promises. Not perfectly, 
but I've never known a time in my life where I didn't know that God loved me. As time goes on, I've learnt more about him, what that means for my life, uh, but I've never had that earth-shattering change in direction. Maybe my story describes yours. Or maybe you do identify with the stark change that has come in the lives of these Thessalonians. Either way, Paul's description of the Thessalonian converts should give us all a good litmus test for our own attitudes, beliefs and hopes. Have we heard and understood the gospel correctly? Do our own actions back up this love that we have for God and the hope that we have in Christ's return? If Paul was writing this letter to us at DPC, would he be saying the same things about us? Would he say that we too are imitators of the Lord and of himself? Are we a good model to other believers, both locally and further afield? But most importantly, would Paul say that each one of us had turned from our own idols to serve the living and true God? These are helpful questions for us us to ask ourselves. If this doesn't seem to match you, it's great that you've identified this. Maybe God is using his word uh, in Thessalonians, uh, as he has done for many of the rest of us here, uh, to draw you towards himself. So please don't leave tonight without a conversation with one of our leaders, maybe myself, or a Christian friend that you've come along with. For those of you who are, who are here and you rely on God each day for your daily bread, take this encouragement from Paul. This affirmation was meant for more than just the Thessalonians. It's why we have it in our Bibles. That we might remember with thankfulness our own conversions. That we will bring praises of gratefulness to God each day for the work he is doing in and through us and in response that we would serve him while we wait together. One final point I'd like to highlight from our passage. Paul takes encouragement seriously. He places value on the act of encouraging others. He must see encouragement as something that Christians need. So if we are to imitate Paul, then let's take a look at how he encourages the Thessalonians. Firstly, he is thankful to God for them because he knows that their faith and any subsequent action that comes from it has only come from God. However, he does become very specific about what he has seen and heard. He lists these things that he has seen them heard, seen um, and heard them do. He doesn't say that he's just generically thankful to God for them. He says that he's thankful to God for this, this and this. We read about it before. He isn't just thankful for the outcomes and actions of these new believers. He is thankful for their motives. He names these motives. You can thank a person at church for setting up the chairs each week by saying, thanks for setting up the chairs each week. 
But another way that you could say the same thing with a more encouraging uh, weight behind it would be to say, thanks for the way you allow everybody to feel welcomed and have a place to sit by serving on our set-up roster. It's saying the same thing, but it comes with a lot more weight because it touches on and reminds the person why they are on the set-up roster in the first place. So let's get specific in our encouragements of one another. This is a lesson for me as much as it is for, for all of us, I think. And Secondly, Paul is focused on their transformation. As we see in verse 9 and 10, he reiterates what occurred when they first heard the gospel. It's just so that they will never forget. They're reminded what happened when they heard the good news. We are to take from this that our, con- our conversions, whether they're dramatic or otherwise, are significant events. They're to be remembered, they're to be talked about. God's work in our lives and in our church ought to be marked and not forgotten. Our lives are just so busy these days that we rarely stop to appreciate the things that God has done and is doing in our lives and in our church. Someone pointing out something about us that they have noticed is very uplifting. And so I encourage you, if you do see it, point it out. Paul also reminds them about the impact their actions are having on others. To them, he says that they have become a model, that God's work in their own church is having a much larger impact. To us, this might mean that we actually say to someone that their service or something in particular that they did impacted us. An example of this might be saying to Adam or Aaron after a sermon, I was really challenged by what you said today about how Paul gives encouragement. I really want to try and do that each week for the music team. By being specific, you've shown that you've heard and understood what was being said but you've also identified something that you want to do differently that's come out of the sermon. This is, of course, the motivation behind what any preacher is trying to achieve. Sermons are meant to help us to put God's word into practice. So if there's something from one that resonates with you, make sure you let the preacher know. Now, I'm not just saying this because I'm up here this week and I'm not expecting... You know, mountains of encouragement to come my way after the service. I'm saying this because Paul, Silas and Timothy show us that encouragement will help to build God's church. It will protect it and it will make it stronger. And this is what DPC needs. It's what all churches need. And it's also our own responsibility to make sure that it's happening. So let's look for ways to encourage one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've been able to carve out to listen to your word. Be with us as we contemplate this week the conversions of the Thessalonians and how that compares to our own. If we have questions, Lord, may we seek the answers. Point us to people who can wisely listen and answer. Lord, help us too to imitate Paul and become good encouragers. 
highlight all the wonderful things that happen and have happened in the life of our church and beyond and prompt us to send encouragement to those involved. Give us the words to articulate the thanks we feel in these situations. And Lord, may we wait patiently and joyfully for the return of our Saviour Jesus. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. Uh, we're now